but to heaven, and the Spirit will come down to earth. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, Jesus tells us about the Father, and he speaks of the Father, and he speaks to the Father. And in the Bible, the Father tells us about the Son and speaks to the Son and of the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, and the Holy Spirit as well. So we see that we see that God, the God who made all things, well, no surprise, a God who could make all things from nothing is very unlike us. We're just simple creatures. There's only one of me, thank God for that, right? And, and I don't come in three persons with all the same attributes of me. No, I'm just very simple. I'm one, and you're, each of you are one. But God, the God who made everything, is unlike us. He eternally exists as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. They were always there together, always. Go back to any point in eternity past, and there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, eternally existing in three co-equal persons. And then, when God chose to, he made everything, and he created humans, made in his image, uniquely among all his creation. The, the crown, the apex of his creating work is creating humanity, but of course we fell with our first father Adam, and because of that we're all sinners and we're in need of a redeemer. And so now this brings us to the incarnation. So what did God do? Here's the thing. This mysterious nature of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one being, one God, eternally coexistent. In the fullness of time, one of the persons of the Holy Trinity, the second person, God the Son, took on flesh. So the Trinity is already hard to grasp. The Trinity is already, I say it reverently, strange, different, but it becomes even more strange when, in the fullness of time, one of the members, God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, took on flesh, and he was fully God and fully man. He was as human as you are. He was as God as God is. He was both. The two natures perfectly commingled, and he shall be God and human forever. So how strange is that? The Creator partook of, fellowshiped with, became one of, like the created. He was never created, but he became human and will be forever. Can't wait to get to heaven and hope my brain will be bigger and the light will be brighter and I'll understand even a little more of that, maybe down through time. So that's the incarnation. Why, back to the sermon title then, why the incarnation? Why did this happen? In our day, many people, sadly, would answer something less than the biblical answer. Their answers are in part true, but they're not the main answer, and so they're false. In our day, many would say, well, God came in human flesh to teach us how to treat one another. Well, he did, but that was not the main thing. God came in human flesh to, fl to show us how to love, how to show love and love one another. Well, he did, but that's not the main thing. God came in human flesh to, to, to exemplify humility. Look at God's humility. He would even come down with humanity. And he did indicate his humility by the incarnation, but that's not the main thing. That's not the whole thing. But fortunately in the New Testament, many, many, many times, more than we can look at today, there are phrases that go like this. It might be an apostle saying, he came to 
purpose clause, and then dot, 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 do this or that or that. Or, or there are many times when Jesus said, I have come to dot, 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 and there are many of those. We're going to look at some of those today, some from the apostles and some from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. Why did he come? What's the point of the incarnation? Here's the first thing. This might be the most important one. He came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. Paul gives us this clearly, 1 Timothy 1.15, here it is. Jesus Christ came into the world, why? To save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, you might want to argue with Paul. No, Paul, I think I'm chief. Paul's going to say, no, he was chief. Well, in his day, he was murdering Christians and imprisoning men and women, boys and girls. So I think he might have us all beat. Maybe he really is chief if we want to compare ourselves. But why did Jesus Christ come into the world? To save sinners. That's why he came. That's what Christmas is about. Hallelujah, Jesus came to save sinners. What's the word save mean? In what way did he save? What did he save them from debt? Did he save them from illness? Did he save them you know, from mean people? What did, what did he save them from? The Greek word for save is the word sozo, and it simply means to save or to deliver. But so from what did he deliver us? Well, from sin and from judgment and from hell and from the wiles of the devil and from ourselves and from our fallenness. He came to save sinners. That's good news, my friend. What kind of people does Jesus receive to himself? Only sinners. There are no other kinds. Do I have to be a really good person to become a Christian? Do I have to be a really good person to go to Jesus Christ or he'll reject me? No, no. The only kind he receives are the bad kind because we're all the bad kind. He came to save sinners. If you can reckon that you are one of those, and that is something you need to know about yourself, it's important to know who you are. It's important to know who God is. It's important to know who other people are. We talked for a moment ago about a little bit about who God is and how he is, but it's important to know who you are. You're a creature created by God, made in his image and likeness, but you're also fallen. We all fell with our first father, Adam, and so we have sinful fallen natures, and because of our fallen natures, we do fallen and evil things. We violate God's commandments. We grieve his Holy Spirit. We wound our own consciences. We hurt other people. But Jesus Christ came for that kind of people, for us. He came into the world to save sinners. And many of us in this room, I can tell by the singing, unless you just love singing and don't care what you're singing, many of us in this room have been saved by Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we're thankful that he saves sinners. We were definitely sinners. Before he's going to save you, you've got to reckon, you've got to realize, yes, I'm a sinner. I've broken commandments. I need a savior. I need to be delivered from my sins and from judgment and from hell. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Point number two, why did he come? Here it is. He came to call sinners to repentance. This adds something new. It keeps with the sinners theme, but now what do sinners do? When God is saving sinners, what happens? Well, he calls them to repentance. Here's a verse for that. It comes from the mouth of Jesus, Luke 5, 32. I have not come to call the righteous because there are none. There are people who think they are. I haven't come to call them either. I haven't come to call the righteous. I've got nothing for them. But sinners 
to repentance. Now you see in saving sinners, Jesus Christ calls those sinners to do something. And the thing, there are several things, but the one that's revealed in our verse here is he's calling sinners, well, what's opposite of sin? To repent, to turn from your sin. So he calls sinners to do something. What do they do? They repent. Now, what is repentance? Let me clarify it for you. You might come from a different background that didn't really go very much by God's word, and it has other things in place of repentance. So repentance is not going into a little booth and confessing your sins to a person. That's not repentance. Repentance is not just feeling sorry for the damage you did. That's not repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a whole soul turning from everything about you that is fallen and everything about the world that is fallen, turning to God so that God will become God to you finally. Because before you've turned, everything else, anything else has been God to you. You've mainly been God to you. You really wanted to live life your way. You know that song? Who made that song? My way. Uh, Frank Sinatra. It's an evil song. Go home and play it and weep. Don't enjoy it. It's evil. My way. I lived my way, my way, my way. How evil can you be? That's, that's over here. That's my way. But repentance is turning from my way to his way. Now I want God to be God. We see this in the, the book, 1 Thessalonians. Paul tells the Thessalonians what they did when they heard the gospel, when they believed on Jesus Christ. He says, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to await his son from heaven, Jesus Christ our Lord. You turn to God and away from all your idols, all the things that you worship, all the things that you put in the center of your life, all the things that filled up, well, tried to fill up, that God-shaped hole in your soul, but they couldn't fill it up. But you turn from all those things and you turn to God that God may be God to you. So when God saves sinners... He grants them a gift called repentance, and they turn. They always turn. Sinners always turn that God would be their God. What happens if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? God will become your God. He will now be God to you, and you will be his subject, and you will bow before him. By the way, it's not in our verse, but there's one other thing you do, which is just the flip side of repentance. So if you have two sides of a coin, over here you have repentance, and on the other side you have what? Faith right? Faith and repentance. If you read through the book of Acts, sometimes when the apostles are preaching the gospel, they tell people, repent and turn to the Lord. And other times they tell them, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And other times they have repent and believe. Well, which is it? Yes. So when you repent, you always believe. And when you believe, you always repent. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, you're also always turning in your heart to God that God may be God to you. That he may be your sovereign, the supreme ruler in your life and in your soul. Your first love among all, all, in all creation, but he's above creation. So Jesus Christ came to call sinners to repentance. Here's a third thing he came for. He came to seek and save lost people. Now we're described in another way. We've already seen that we're sinners, but now we're lost people. He came to seek and save lost people. Where do we see this? There was a man in Jesus' day named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, maybe you know the children's song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. So he was of diminutive stature, all right? <laughs> wasn't, wasn't born, didn't have the DNA to be a pro basketball player. But, but Jesus was coming by and there was a great crowd and he wanted to get a look at Jesus, but he couldn't see over everybody. So he, he literally climbed up a tree. How enterprising is that? I like this guy. 
He climbed up a tree so he can see what does this man Jesus look like? And maybe there was more than that mere outward interest because what comes is amazing. And so what happened is the Lord Jesus went right up to him, right up to the tree, looked right up at him and said, come down because I'm going to go have lunch at your house. So Jesus had very much intentionality about this man and his future. And, and somewhere along the line, Zacchaeus becomes a believer. He is converted. He gets what the Bible calls a new heart. He repents. He has faith in the Lord Jesus. Because look at what he does as a fruit of his newfound faith in Christ. Luke 19, 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, he was wealthy, he was a tax collector. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if, ha if, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, Zacchaeus wasn't doing this as works of righteousness by which he thought he could make himself right with God. He was doing this as fruit of a new heart. We know that because look at what Jesus says, Luke 19, 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus has been saved. He's a new creature in Christ. He's repented and believed. Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Now we get the purpose statement. Why did Christ come? For the son of man came to seek and save. What? The lost. Zacchaeus had been lost and Jesus found him. You know the great song, Amazing Grace. I was lost, but now I'm found. Zacchaeus was lost, but he had been found. Every one of us starts off life lost, estranged from God and off the path. We've wandered off of God's path. The Bible tells us there's a narrow gate and a narrow way. You must go through that gate. It's the Lord Jesus. And the narrow way is following him to your last breath. And you must go through the narrow gate and the narrow way because they lead to everlasting life. But there's also a broad gate and a broad way, and it leads to destruction. But you can haul all your stuff and all your loves and all your idols and all your sins right through that gate and right down that path with you. There, there are two ways, and, and if you get on the broad path, well, you're lost. You've wandered off of God's path. You've wandered into the path that leads to sin and error and death and judgment and hell. You're lost in the world, and many people are lost. Man, I don't want to get to talking about me, but I remember how lost I was. I was totally lost. Never heard the gospel, never had a believer tell me anything about God. I don't think I ever heard a verse read out of the Bible. Never went to church ever, ever, ever till I was 17. I was just lost. Didn't know my way, and it was obvious. Then somebody finally invited me to a Bible study, and I immediately heard the word and believed. It was just God worked in my heart, and I believe. And Jesus came to save people like I was, lost, lost people. Are you feeling lost? Have you lost your way? Are you off of God's path? Are you maybe on the broad path that leads to destruction? It's important that you understand that you are, if you are, and that you leave the broad path and you go to the narrow gate. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's repentance unto life and to the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. Which path are you on? There are only two paths. There's no third option. You're either on the narrow path or the broad path. If you're on the broad path, you're lost. Zacchaeus was lost, but fortunately for all of us, Jesus came to save lost people. A little bit more on this lost theme. So a famous verse in the Bible, it's rightly famous. It says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. What do we know about sheep? Yeah, nobody's surprised that the thing talks about a sheep who's gone astray. They do that. They get lost real easily. 
Their, their sense, they don't have a homing sense. They don't have GPS. They, they can't find their way back very well. They get lost. Not like homing pigeons. They can find their way back. Not like bears. This is horribly off track, but I got to tell you anyway. Have you read? This is a true story. There are other ones, but this is the greatest one. There was a bear in the mountains of Tennessee, and she was making trouble with picnic baskets and all that. She, was, she had her favorite picnic table. She would go there again, and they thought, we got to relocate her. So they came in. They shoot him with a dart or something and drug her, put her inside an enclosed truck, and they drove her a thousand miles, three states away, and let her out. You know what she did? She walked and walked and walked and walked right back to her favorite picnic table. And we're totally mystified. No one knows how bears do that. God knows. God gave that ability to bear. But not sheep. You take a sheep a thousand miles away, it's going to die. Right? <laughs> Wolf is going to eat it. Something's going to eat it. It's just going to die. Zacchaeus, like us, all we like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid on him. Who's the him? Jesus Christ. The iniquities of us all. So you started life on the wrong path. You started life lost. You started life going astray. Have you come to Jesus Christ, and has she be, he become the shepherd and overseer of your soul? See, that's something he does. You'll no longer be lost. You'll have a shepherd. His rod and his staff, they finish it with me. Comfort me. Oh, I'm so comforted to have a Savior who's a shepherd who keeps after me with his rod and his staff and keeps my feet on the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. Jesus seeks and saves lost people. He does it now through his word and through his church and through his people. Here's a fourth reason why Jesus came. I like this one. I like them all. But he came, fourthly, to preach good news, to preach. He came to preach. That's why I like it, because I preach. And Jesus came to preach, thus magnifying the ministry, thus glorifying the thing. Give me a moment there, all right? Jesus came to preach. So before I even get to the verse, I want to just say, so therefore, away with all these people, these foolish people who say, you know, preaching doesn't really change lives. There are always Christians who are saying this stuff. Preaching doesn't really change lives. It's just like one-on-one -on -one discipleship or small groups. Well, I'm all for discipleship. I'm all for small groups and all the above. But Jesus Christ came to do what? To preach to change lives. So don't poo-poo don't preaching, all right? And here we're going to see him doing it in the synagogue in Nazareth. Actually, he's not going to be preaching, but he's going to read the scripture like we have today. He's, he's invited to come up and do the reading. He finds in the scroll where the book of Isaiah is, he found the text he wanted and he read it. And you, I bet you could have heard a pin drop in that place. Because what he's about to say, he's going to say, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your sight. He's saying, I'm the one that verse is about. Listen to it. He's standing there in the synagogue, all eyes are on him, and he reads this portion from Isaiah. Here it is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach, to proclaim. It's the word preach, keruso. Keruso. So somebody who was the herald, the king's herald, would have to go out. He had to have a big voice, because there was no PA system, no amplification. And he would go out in the streets, and he would herald, thus saith the king. And you all had to listen, and he would lift up his voice and proclaim. And that's what a preacher is. And this is what Jesus did. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, second time, liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, the spiritually blind especially 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed by sin and Satan and judgment, and for a third time, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And they're found in Luke 4.18, where Jesus reads that and tells them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your sight or in your hearing. So good news. Why did he come? He came to preach good news. Now, is there any bad news in the world these days? Yeah, just a little bit here and there, right? There's always been a little bit of bad news in the world. There's always a lot of bad news. Ever since the fall, this whole planet is just one big batch of bad news. In fact, good news rarely even makes the news, right? They want to they titillate you with, oh, bad news. Oh, I want to hear. There's something in us that wants to hear bad news. We want to hear. It, it, it wouldn't be good news like everyone in Bel Air had dinner last night. No one ever reports that. But if there's bad news, we report on that. The world is full of bad news. Jesus came into the world to proclaim good news, the best news, the good news. You ever heard the phrase, the gospel? You know what that means? The gospel means the good news. And the good news is that you can be delivered from your fallenness and from the consequences of your transgressions of God's law through the shed blood of God the Son, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He he bore our sins in his own body on Calvary's tree. And if we turn to him in saving faith, and if we repent and turn to him, he will take our sins and bear them in his own body on the tree, and he will grant his righteousness to our record. And when the Father sees us, he sees us in Christ holy and righteous and unreprovable. It's just amazing. That, my friend, is good news. That's the best news on the planet, and he's committed it to us, the people of God, and churches of Jesus Christ worldwide. And what is the good news again? There is liberty. There is recovery. There is liberty a second time. Good news floods your soul when you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a fifth reason why Christ came. You want to hear a fifth reason? You're not done yet? Have you clocked out yet? Are you still listening? Hope you are. Here's a fifth reason. Jesus came to serve and to give his life a ransom. This is in Mark chapter 10, and it's Jesus speaking. And he says, for even the Son of Man, it's one of many ways he's identified. That means he is human. For even the Son of Man did not come to this planet to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus Christ came to serve you. You are part of that number that he came to serve. He came to serve humans. He came to serve the fallen race of Adam. He came to serve, but more importantly, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, what is a ransom? What do you know about a ransom? So what do they do? This is terrible. I hate to even talk about it. So you you go to the wrong country in the wrong place at the wrong time, and they steal one of your family members. I won't even name one, all right? It's too terrible. They steal somebody. They kidnap somebody, and they're gone. And then you get a call or you get a note, and they're saying, we want $2 million by Friday, or you'll never see them again. That's the ransom. They're asking $2 million is the ransom you'll have to pay to recover your loved one. It's a terrible situation, but the Bible lifts that analogy and uses it in terms of you and Jesus Christ. He paid a ransom price for you when you were a slave to sin and Satan and judgment and hell. He paid a ransom when you were taken captive by this world's philosophies and errors. He paid a ransom to ransom your soul back, back to God. And what was the price of this ransom? It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the ransom price. He paid his blood so that you and I might be redeemed. 
How many of you in this room have been ransomed? Thank God. Bless the Lord. Think about if, if a loved one of yours was really kidnapped, and then you got them back. Sometimes, you know, they take the money, and you don't ever see the child or the person anymore anyway. But imagine if it really happened to you, and you paid a ransom, and you got someone back. That'd be wonderful. This is more wonderful, and this is way more people. This is all who will turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He ransoms you. He pays the ransom for your soul through his shed blood. You ought to live every day happy, happy, happy all the time, time, time. You ought to just make up your own song and sing it. I've been ransomed. Spell it out. R-A-N-S-O-M-E-D, ransom. You can make a song out of that. This is one of the reasons Christ came, to purchase you back through his own shed blood. Reason number six, here it is, to deliver believers, all who will turn to him, from darkness. From darkness. From darkness. We saw earlier in the service in Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness, that's us, have seen a great light, that's Christ. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, that's us. On them light has shone. And Jesus refers to this when he tells us another reason why he came to deliver believers from darkness, John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Where were you? You were in darkness. How dark was the darkness? Thick darkness. Dark darkness. What did Jesus do? He beamed the light of the knowledge of himself and the glory of God into your soul in the day of his power, in the day of his choosing, and you saw light. He, he came so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. What is the darkness? The darkness of our souls, the dark night of your soul. All the darkness of this fallen world with its false religion, its false philosophies, its sins, its immorality, just to get more current and kind of pointedly current, the cultural darkness like murdering babies, the darkness we see when every possible form of sexual perversion is promoted by the entertainment media, the darkness seen when marriage, raising children, and family life are absolutely under attack. I mean, just need I mention more? All right, I will. The darkness of gender folly and confusion and all. There's just so much darkness in our land right now compared to any other time, really. I mean, there's been darkness. The Civil War, that was pretty dark, right? World War I, World War II, those were pretty dark times, though they weren't fought mostly on our soil. But Christ came to save people so that whoever believes in him would not remain in that darkness, in that thick cultural darkness. So here's you. And before you're saved, you don't know God. You don't have the light of God in your soul. And God looks at you and says, they're in darkness. That's you. Some of you in this room are probably that person. You're in darkness. What God will give you is light. He'll illuminate. He'll flood light into your soul. I once was blind, but now I see. When the apostle Paul was converted, Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He'd been a Jew who was killing Christians and imprisoning Christians. He hated the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus personally appeared to Saul, and, and the light was so bright. What did that signify? I'm beaming light into your soul. He was blinded by it, and he was taken into a nearby town. For three days, he was blinded. Then he heard the gospel, and something that looked like scales fell out from his eyes, and he believed and rose up and saw again. What, what did all that that signify? Why did God do that? This is what happens in your soul. 
man, I'm just, I think about me again, because I know me better than I know any of you. And I was definitely in darkness, thick darkness, had no light, no knowledge of God, no knowledge of Jesus Christ, no knowledge of the gospel, no knowledge of heaven or hell or judgment or everlasting life and how to obtain it. I was in darkness. And before I even heard any Bible, I had a growing sense, though not the word, I had a growing sense that I was in darkness. I knew this isn't good. My life isn't good. Where I am isn't good. And I was developing a sneaking suspicion, there's got to be a God. I mean, look at all this. There's got to be a God. It can't have just happened. It didn't come out of nothing. There's got to be a God. I think there's a God. I would like to know who he is. Looked into some Eastern religions a little bit. They didn't make any sense to me. I'm a Westerner, but they still wouldn't have made any sense to me. And then I looked into the Bible, and oh, my goodness, light flooded my soul. And I was blind, but now I see by the grace of God. Are you in darkness? Jesus came to deliver people out of darkness. Paul glories in this. Listen to Colossians 1 and verse 13. He looks back at what Jesus did on the cross and said, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. He glories in it. Peter also glories in this, 1 Peter 2, 9, that you, believers, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is it marvelous light? Say amen. Yeah, it's marvelous light. Anybody want to go back to your darkness? No, Lord, save me from even putting my, my little finger back in that darkness, right? That's the other side. I don't want to be over in the side of darkness. I'm reminded of a great hymn that most of you probably never heard. It's called Blessed Jesus at Thy Word. And here's the second stanza. I'll put it up. All our knowledge, sense, and sight lie in deepest darkness shrouded. Till your spirit breaks our night with your beams of truth unclouded. You alone to God can win us. You must work all good within us. Great old hymn. Are you in darkness? Dear friend, Jesus came to deliver you from that darkness and into his marvelous light. Have you been delivered? Bless the Lord. Here's a seventh reason why Jesus Christ came. He came seventhly to fulfill God's law for you. Oh, this is good news. We'll get this from the Lord himself in Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. So you have the law of Moses. And there is going to be a great change. The law goes out, the New Testament, and grace comes in. But he didn't come to abolish the law, not to throw it down in the dirt and say, well, that's junk, let's trample it under. He didn't come to abolish it, but rather to fulfill it. It's found, it found its termination point in him and in his cross work and in his righteous life. He came not to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them for whom? For all who will turn. To all who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he fulfills the law in your behalf. Now, there's a thing I'm dying to tell you about. Will you let me tell you about it? Thank you. Nice people in the front. I didn't hear much from the back. So for you in the back, I want you to hear this too. There's a thing that theologians talk about. It's Christ's active obedience and Christ's passive obedience. What is Christ's active obedience? That is, during his 33-plus years of life on the earth, up until his death on the cross, he actively obeyed the Father's laws perfectly in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of the Spirit, and as the sinless Son of God, he perfectly obeyed the law of God in every way. Imagine being Mary and raising a boy who never does anything wrong. 
you just, you just know from that there's something really going on here, right? And, and she did know from a lot of things. But there, Jesus was actively obeying God's law. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness from his active obedience is reckoned to you. So the Father sees you in Christ as you perfectly kept God's law. That's Christ's active obedience. Then there's Christ's passive obedience. What's that? That's what happened when he died on the cross for sinners like you and me. And passively, he received the wrath of God that I deserve for my sins. Passively, he absorbed into his own holy soul the wrath of a righteously indignant and holy and incensed God because we sinners had so transgressed and transgressed and ignored him and ignored him and pushed him away. And Christ absorbed all the punishment due to sinners like you and me passively when he hung on the cross. That's his passive obedience. And through it, your sins are reckoned to Christ, and he bears them in his own body on the tree. Say hallelujah with me. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? So Jesus Christ came to fulfill God's law for you, and if you turn to him, God sees you in Christ, and you are holy. It's amazing. God sees you as having kept all of his commandments perfectly always. It's just incredible. But here's the eighth reason why Christ came, to testify to the truth. That's good to hear in our day, when there's lots of people testifying to folly and error and the world's philosophies. Listen to Jesus, John 18, verse 37. Jesus answered, quote, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, furthermore, hears my voice. They'll come to the truth. They'll hear the voice of the shepherd and say, I believe. But Jesus says, I came into the world to testify to the truth. How wonderful in a world full of lies, in a world full of error, in a world full of falsehood, in a world full of cynicism about truth itself. You remember Pilate. What did Pilate say to Jesus? You know, what is truth? Like, does anybody have truth? Which is a pretty good way to be thinking if there's no God and no revelation of what's true and what's false. There is no truth. There's only the majority opinion of that nation that can clobber all other nations. That becomes truth. Or whatever the current Supreme Court says, that becomes truth. But Jesus Christ came to testify to truth. Put that all in capitals. Put it in like 34 size, all right? Make it bold. Jesus Christ came to tell you the truth about what? Everything. Everything that the Bible speaks to, everything you need for life and godliness, Jesus Christ tells you truth. So here's the world. Lies, 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 lies. Turn on your media. Lies, lies, lies. Turn on your television. Lies, lies, lies. Read the paper. Lies, lies, lies. Go to college. Lies, lies, lies. Go to Harvard. Lies, 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 lies. Couldn't resist that one, huh? UPenn, and what was the other one? MIT was? No, it was. Okay, all right. Go to one of those lies, 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 lies. Jesus Christ, like, cut through all that and says, you want to know truth? Here is truth. And you get a whole book that tells you the truth, and it's a firm foundation to build your life on. It's a good way to live in the truth of God and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you come to him for truth? Do you get your truth from Jesus Christ, or do you get your truth from the world, which is to say you're really ultimately getting it from the devil, who's the God of this present age? Where do you get your truth? Not from culture, not from the university, from Jesus Christ and the Bible. Listen to him. Receive the truth. Turn to him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now I have a ninth reason Jesus came. I have one, two, three, four left, and I don't have time for four, so I have to pick which one's going to be number nine. Give me one second. I like that one. I like that one. Ooh, I like that one. Ooh, I like that one. I'm going to choose this one. Number, number nine. It is to give abundant life. It's going to have a 10 on it. Not to give abundant life. Listen to this, John 10, 10. Jesus said, I came. Why, would you, why did you come? Tell us, Jesus. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus Christ gives you abundant life. He gives you life, life, the life of God in your soul. He gives you eternal life. He gives you the only life worth living. He gives you real life, but he also does it that you may know the abundance of life. Where can I find? I feel empty. I don't feel like things are satisfying. I have the house. I have the car. I have the vacations. It doesn't satisfy. What satisfies Jesus Christ? will give abundance to your soul. If you ever had abundance of anything, what's an abundance? It's lots. He will give you lots of good life. Amen, believers? Yeah. Is this a better life than the one you had before Christ? Yeah, amen. Big time, big time. Let me just tell you quick what the other ones were. You want to see what the other ones were that we skipped? And then we'll close it right there. Let's go back to number nine. That is to bring a sword. Jesus is divisive. You follow Christ, it's going to cause you problems with somebody. If you're a serious follower of Christ, somebody isn't going to like you anymore. You're going to have trouble with somebody anymore. He came to bring a sword. Here's another one, to deliver us from the fear of death. That's number 11. And number 12 that we didn't do is finally to proclaim liberty to the captives. So Jesus came for a lot of reasons, and there's more than those in the Bible. But I want to ask you one question in closing. Jesus came for all these reasons and more. Has his coming for these reasons, been effectual in you. Well, how can I make it be effectual in me? Turn to him. Call upon the name of the Lord. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this will be for you. Amen. Let's bow and pray together. Father, we pray that in this place and wherever else the message of Christ is proclaimed today, we pray that those who are far from God would be drawn near in the power of the Holy Spirit and through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, save lost sinners in our midst, we pray. Awaken them from their dark night of the soul. Quicken them and put life in their soul. Beam light into their minds that they may see and understand and see the beauty of Jesus Christ. May they turn even now and say, Lord Jesus, I believe. I'm calling upon you. Please, would you give even me that life? And Father, for all, of, for all of us who have so been turned, will we just rejoice before you? We bless you. Thank you for Christ Jesus, our Savior, our God, our Lord. We look forward to the day when we enter into your holy presence and get to be there in heaven with Christ forever and ever and ever. And so we would even pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We rejoice in your first coming today. We look forward to your second coming and the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwell. And so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Would you like to talk to a Cornerstone pastor about 
anything that was in this message today or anything else about the Christian life, well, we're available to you. Here's a real easy way you can do that. You can just text the word pastor to the number on the screen above my head, and one of our pastors will reach out to you this week. We love to do that. We do it often. Please give us another opportunity. We look forward to the conversation with you. Thank you. Pastor Stan. All right. Thank you, Steve, for that message today. And good afternoon, everyone. I want to greet you with the words of Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Is that an amen? Amen. Christ's entrance into the world was a glorious celebration. And that celebration continues every week that we participate in communion. Communion is a way for us to give glory to God and to give him thanks for his mercy and grace that he extends to us. And if you are a child of God, we welcome you to join us in communion. If you need elements, you can find them in the back. Our communion meditation today is going to be from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 and verse 17. And one of the themes of Hebrews is Jesus Christ is the founder of our salvation. It's a chapter that is rich in Christology, which we heard today from Steve's message. Verse 10 says this, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was appropriate. It was right that Jesus came to suffer. It had to be because that is our common lot, right? That's man's common lot. And the scripture said he was made perfect through suffering. Now, was Jesus not perfect? No, then what what did the author mean by that? Simply means that his suffering made him totally qualified for his work of redemption. He was totally qualified. What we experience, he experienced. He suffered pain and agony. And Hebrews 10, 17, and 18 goes on to prove that point. He said, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He was totally human. He experienced joy and sadness. He experienced everything that we experienced. And he goes on to say, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that is, appeasement, reconciliation for the sins of the people. For he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, one thing that we must recognize, there's a lot of talk about Why is there so much suffering in the world? But we must remember that God did not exempt his son from suffering. And what he asked us to do, he has done. So as we come to this table of communion, thank God that Jesus came willingly, 
to suffer on our behalf so that he would be totally qualified to represent us. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to surrender to our Lord Jesus Christ. He came to give his life for you. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to say, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 